Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high-yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We will also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. Andrew will introduce our guest, but we had a moment right before we jumped on here today. We're recording the first episode of our third season, which is a little, yeah. a little crazy to me. I, I don't know that I ever thought we'd make it through our first episode, let alone yeah. a, a couple seasons. So Appa- Apparently, we know the right people to give our, our guests <laughs> interesting information because yeah. I, I highly doubt if it was just me and you, they'd be listening to us. Yeah. Yeah, certainly not this long. So yeah, so, I guess give uh, give give our guest an introduction. Yeah, I, I couldn't think of a better way to start 2024 and have the first episode of season three be uh, talking about corn. And so I'm I'm super excited to uh, pick the brain and learn from uh, Dr. Daniel Quinn from uh, Purdue University. So Daniel, I appreciate you being our first guest. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, really really appreciate it. No, thank, thanks for having me on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clip that, that you wanted corn first. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. To, to, maybe share, to maybe share with our next guest, and there's a little, our teaser. We usually say oh, the teaser for yeah. the, the end, but maybe we'll do the teaser, uh, yeah, the, a fellow Purdue guy coming up. Well, and just so, um, <laughs> you know, just so our listeners kind of, kind of draw the line, um, uh, Dr. Quinn joined us uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, as part of our agronomy edition. And so really appreciate that and shout out to the University of Purdue uh, for helping us uh, share and, and circulate that. But I guess for our listeners that maybe didn't catch that, Dan, give give our listeners uh, your background and, and what you do at Purdue. Yeah, so I'm the uh, corn agronomist I'm at Purdue. So I'm an assistant professor and, and kind of deal with all aspects of corn. Uh, so very applied research background, uh, blessing and a curse being an agronomist, right? That you kind of work on all aspects of corn production. Um, so we're, we kind of have our hands in all aspects of, of corn, but very applied research specific to the farmers and, uh, have big extension component, um, as well. In addition to our research, um, so kind of anything and in, in everything corn at Purdue. And I, w- I always tell people, Dan, if you're an agronomist, you can't, you can't, skate by knowing uh, a lot about a little you got to know a lot about a lot right it's just yep. so broad yep. at least that's what i tell people since i'm one <laughs> yeah it makes you feel better yeah yeah <laughs> well dan we we start our, our our regular episodes um with kind of a question that andrew and i have really enjoyed which would be um certainly can be about corn but but really just kind of thinking about agronomy as a whole what what has you excited right now <laughs> Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a really good question. Um, you know, just from my perspective, you know, I think the the technology, you know, the way things are going, um, you know, we're, we're fortunate here at Purdue to, you know, it's a heavy engineering school. And so we get to, to get to work with a lot of engineers um, on a lot of, you know, really intensive, you know, technology f- everywhere from, you know, remote sensing and drones to everything from robots to, you know, biodegradable sensors to just the, the level of intensity that goes into the way we're tracking things and monitoring things and, and then eventually being able to manage things. Um, it's, it just, you know, never ceases to amazes me with, you know, working with some of these people that have, you know, much bigger brains than I do that, 
uh, the things that that we're we're working on and and doing in in corn. So it just you know really comes back to the technology aspect, everything from the equipment that you know I like. You know I enjoy working with a lot of the equipment from planters to combines and. Um, just the way the technology is going, it's 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 unbelievable what we can do. And you look at, you know, it kind of scares me where we'll be in, you know, 20, 30 years yeah. right, with, with the technology. So um, I think that's that's really what it, what excites me is, you know, just the sheer level of technology and data and just how intensively we're, we're monitoring, managing things now and, and where that potentially can go. Yeah. Well, I, I really like that answer. And it's funny how all these, uh, you know, professors that we've interviewed across the, you know, the, the last year, it, it, technology seems like no matter what you are, you're a physiologist, pathologist, entomologist, mm-hmm. weed scientist, it seems like the technology, I think, I feel like that's the, the most common answer we get, but it, it is the yeah. coolest part of egg, man. The last five to 10 years, the way it's blowing up and it's now the cool thing to be a part of it. It's awesome to see. <laughs> yep. So, no, so, so we're here to talk about your research, uh, Dan. Mm-hmm. And, and I really, as soon as I heard you talking about this, I was like, man, we got to get this guy on the episode because, you know, your, your research kind of focus and, and maybe title, I guess, is, is the input intensive management of corn. And so looking yes. at, you know, at the end of the day, it's what, what impacts yielding corn. You know, if you start adding all these different treatments to the control, what's going to impact corn yield at the end of the day? And then you looked at all of those treatments into one. And so, you know, yes. I had kind of a flashback. It reminded me of kind of a combination of the the seven wonders of corn from Below, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then also a combination of, of all the stuff that Westgate did looking at dry matter accumulation and what really impacts, cur- you know, the grain field period in corn. So it was like these two mega giants in the crop physiology world and, and people that made me want to become a physiologist and just kind of a science nerd kind of combine yeah. all of that stuff into one trial. And so I think this is just fascinating. I, I know our growers or our listeners are just going to, you know, soak this information uh, right up. So I figure, you know, as we're breaking these into two different parts, you know, typically we talk about the science first and then management practices second. With yours, we're going to talk about part one is going to be, we're just going to talk about what your research was, how you did it, all, all the different treatments that you looked at. And then part two, we'll look at the results. So, so I figure with part one, uh, let's talk about, you know, just tell us, you know, go into as in depth as you want. Tell us what your research looked at and, and you know, all, all the different treatments, everything about it. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's kind of labeled as a, an intensive management study. You know, these, these aren't new. They're, there's things people have done. I know, you know, a lot of the soybean agronomists did a really big, you know, intensive soybean management uh, a few years ago. And, you know, Fred at Illinois has done a lot of this work um, in the past, but um, it, it really stems from the questions we get, right? Uh, I always tell farmers, you know, the research, you wonder where my research comes from. A lot of the ideas, it's because I, you know, listen to you all at, at the meetings. And yeah. so, um, it's, you know, it's, it's a popular topic every year and it's something people want to try and understand every year. Um, so it's, you know, it's centered around intensive management and, you know, I've labeled it input intensive management, uh, where we're looking at, you know, just different either management practices or inputs applied to corn and, and understanding how they, one, how they impact yield, right? Cause there's a lot of different products out there. There's so many different management practices, different fertilizers, different fungicides, um, there's so many out there and, and the question is always, okay, which ones, which ones work, right? That's what farmers always ask us, <laughs> Yeah. you know, what, what should I put in, you know, I want to keep pushing my yield a little bit better. Where, where should I go? Yeah. Um, so that's where it, you know, it kind of started, but 
you know, and, and that's something that, you know, has been done and, and something, you know, we will keep doing, but I wanted kind of some of the, the physiological piece, um, added onto that where, you know, I think we talked about this a little bit in the last uh, episode we did. I'm, I'm really intrigued about the, the back end of the season uh, for corn in terms of, you know, kernel weight and, and grain fill duration. I just think there's, you know, in terms of the way hybrids are today and, and where we can make some of that yield um, comes. I think it is really comes from that back in the season. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, I've been in the combine quite a bit and, and there's instances where that corn is really healthy and almost green when you're combining yeah. it. I mean, those are some of the best yields there is. So um, trying to understand, you know, really from a, a fungicide aspect of, of what, how much these fungicides, you know, if we can control disease, how does that, you know, maybe swing some of this grain fill duration or this kernel weight, you know, a lot of that work has been done, uh, probably Mark, but uh, Tony Vine here at, at Purdue did a lot of this work in, in nitrogen, um, you know, different rates and, and timings. Um, so I kind of, you know, was able to work with him and, and some of his students on developing this protocol where, you know, they did a lot of that work in nitrogen. Let's, let's look at it in fungicides, right? Yeah. Um, you know, is there some instances of, you know, similar responses that we see in nitrogen that, that maybe track uh, to the fungicide? So yeah. uh, we, we kind of chose, you know, popular inputs and, and, you know, you know, management practices farmers want to look at, but let's, let's maybe tack into this, you know, uh, physiological piece really in, in grain fill duration and, and kernel weight with this type of project as well. Yeah. Well, uh, man, I, as much as I want to go down this rabbit hole and get a good laugh, I could say, I say how I always have the, the kernel weight versus test weight. Oh yeah. I knew Sean was yeah. looking at me like, oh, he's going to bring it up. I love having those conversations and that's a, that's probably an old three hour episode right there. Right. Oh, that's, what what really that. matters at the end of the day is kernel weight, not test weight. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, that. we've got, we've got, so I was, uh, when I saw this, when I saw this, I, I, the, the research that we got to do here, I, I saw, so I'm looking at a piece of paper right now. It says what constitutes corn grain yield. It boils down to optimizing kernel number per unit area and optimizing kernel <laughs> weight. So I've got a, a handful of farmers I'd like to bring on so you guys can debate the the great uh, test weight debate. Uh, but you mentioned you know, just one thing before we kind of jump into this one. I just I want to tell you from a from an advisor standpoint how much I appreciate the work you're doing because I think especially when you talk about the second half of the season, I think we sit here. And, you know, we know some things to be scientifically true, but then the question is, okay, what does that mean practically? Because we still have to go make practical management decisions. And I know we're going to talk about those in the, in the second half of our episode, but it's really, really critical because otherwise we can spend money on things we shouldn't be spending money on or, or, or maybe, um, you know, maybe just miss the ball entirely on what we're trying to accomplish. So, uh, from the field, really appreciate uh, the effort because it's helping us answer a lot of questions. Before we kind of dive into maybe um, the actual management practices, so you mentioned the work that Tony had done with nitrogen there. Um, talk a little bit maybe about partners in the research, um, either other universities or, or Purdue, kind of who who's helping you with this project? Yeah, so an interesting aspect about this project is, you know, I want to do it across multiple states um, yeah. as well. So let's let's, you know, do this in a lot of different environments, a lot of different latitudes. Um, so partnered with, uh, so Chad Lee, who's my advisor, was my yeah. advisor at Kentucky. Yeah. Awesome. Um, awesome. You know, got him to, to be a part of this project. Um, Osler Ortez, who is uh, kind of started a little bit after me, is a corn agronomist at Ohio State. So yeah. 
Um, he's, he's on he's my list good. of upcoming guests. Yeah, yeah, really good. He's really good. So he was uh, aggressive enough to help us with three locations in in Ohio awesome. um, this past year. Um, so that's kind of new coming is, is some of the Ohio data. Yeah. Um, and, and then Kurt Steinke, who is kind of the soil fertility specialist in Michigan State, um, as well was was able to to help us with this project. And I've been in you know conversations with some of the folks at Illinois and. Um, so this may is probably not the end of this project. It's it's kind of expanded each year, um, but yeah, working with Michigan State, Ohio State, and Kentucky on this project, in awesome. addition to to Indiana. I'm a I'm a big uh, big bourbon guy, and when we <laughs> interviewed Chad, I, I determined two things. One, I need to get really close to him as an agronomist so I can <laughs> convince him to send me bourbon. Um, but man, that guy's got a voice for a podcast too. He's a uh, he, uh, he could do radio if the whole uh, yep. agronomy Chad. thing ever fails. So, uh, Chad's very diplomatic is the way I <laughs> But being a, you know, being a grad student down there, we actually had some uh, field days where they actually had bourbon tasting yeah. field days. And I do miss those. <laughs> yeah. That would be awesome. We, we, we started, uh, we started kind of big time and back and forth. So I was mentioning some of my experiences in Kentucky and some of the cool things I've gotten to do. And I, I realized pretty quickly that I could not compete with uh, some of the work that he's gotten to do with, with some of the distillers. So he put me in my place pretty quick, but um, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious. Like I got to ask b- before we start digging into, you know, some of these individual, th- uh, you know, uh, protocols and just management practices you guys had and, yeah. and looked at what, what were some ob- objectives? Cause I'm thinking back to some, some graduate work and, you know, you have, it, I mean, it, it's all big, right? There's a lot of data, a lot of a sampling, you know, you, here you have a lot of uh, different treatments. Uh, what were some, I mean, what was your main objective or what were some of your objectives? Cause yeah. you have a lot of treatments we'll talk about. Yeah, so what, what were think, you trying to answer? I think, you know, the first objective was if you do this type of study, you know, uh, typically we, we have your control where you kind of as business as usual, it's, you know, minimal input. Let's compare it to kind of what they often refer to as the kitchen sink, right? Let's, let's throw everything at it. So the first objective is looking at, okay, you know, we labeled this the intensive treatment that had everything control versus intensive. Okay. Is there a yield difference? And if there's a yield difference, you know, which input or management practices is driving that? Yeah. Um, is it a couple? Is it, you know, one? Um, is it all of them, right? Uh, so it really comes back to to yield, right? That's always a typical agronomic work. That's the first objective we we look at. Okay, we do this work, we do this, you know, pay this extra money, we do these management practices. How does it impact yield? Um, and is it worth it? And and is there some level of you know consistency across you know different latitudes and states? And yeah. is there one or two inputs that kind of stand out to us? Like, oh, this this inputs, you know performing pretty consistent or is there inputs uh, it's a little more targeted where it needs to be you know we got some responses here but maybe not here um and and why that was so um it's kind of you know starts with that yield uh, my grad student is is working on some of the economics of it too i think that's a a big portion of of you know what farmers are after and then you know the the other objectives of it was really centered around fungicides and and we'll get into why only fungicides because of how you know how much time it takes to do okay. uh, some of these these samples but you know the idea that if we apply fungicides right there's there's always that that comment that you know is there state green right you know is there plant health you know yeah, yeah. and and how does that impact the the late season right? yeah and really, all the all those physiological impacts of yeah, fungicides yeah. So that, people, there, that often get discussed you know some benefit from the fungicides in terms of 
Greenfield, we know fungicides, when they control disease, we can improve yield. But I, I like addressing the question of, I got a yield response. Well, where is that coming from? Yeah, right? where, yeah absolutely. Where is the yield coming from? Um, so with these fungicides, you know, a lot of work has been done on nitrogen in this, you know, grain filtration and kernel weight and stuff, but not much has been done on the fungicide side, um, on the physiological aspects in corn. Um, so that's where, where it kind of stemmed. Um, Except for horrible know, grad students that did awesome yeah. work with Westgate and still haven't taken the time to finish the paper and get the yeah, get it yeah, some people that just don't publish the work. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just kind of stemmed from, you know, where that yield response is coming from and, and targeting those fungicides uh, was a question we had in terms of grain fill duration. And because you do see when we control that disease, right, there's a little bit of that tree stay green and a little bit healthier uh, a little bit later. So yeah, I'm um, just trying to track that, that yield response. Yeah. We've got, I guess, with your permission, um, we'll, would would love to attach the the deck that you sent. So yeah, um, yeah. it'll be maybe a little bit hard to go through this all, you know, you think driving down the road, listening to a podcast, but I guess, would you maybe talk about, um, so talk about your control and then maybe what you were trying to accomplish with, with uh, the different, um, the different treatments that you examined? Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you all are more than welcome to, to share this. Um, but the, the control kind of stemmed from, kind of our typical starting point uh, for the state of Indiana in terms of our management practices. It's kind of built off of, you know, a lot of the work that, that Bob Nielsen had done and and to the point where I'm at here now. Um, so it, it's kind of that minimal starting point, right? It's, you know, uh, about 30 to 32,000 seeds per acre for our, our, you know, seeding rates. It's the nitrogen management for us is, you know, a lot of folks in Indiana, it's some level of nitrogen through the planter. And then, you know, a lot of folks uh, side dress uh, here in the state of Indiana. So um, we put about 40 units of nitrogen through the planter, come back at, at about V4, V5 and side dress that nitrogen. Um, and that's kind of the the starting point uh, for us with, with you know, in terms of I'm going to grow corn. This is, this is where we're going to start. And then we kind of built on from that and and the inputs that were chosen really stem from, you know, a lot of the questions we get um, in terms of farmers saying, hey, you know, does this work or does that work? Um, you know, Zyway, um, which is a FMC product is, you know, a little bit newer type fungicide. So there's a lot of interest in that, you know, it has a little bit of systemic property. So, you know, how does that perform? And, you know, foliar micronutrients where you have zinc, manganese, and boron, right? When in Indiana, we have pockets where, you know, we have a lot of manganese problems and we see pockets where we get zinc responses. So, yeah. um, you know, looking at that and, you know, the foliar fungicide R1, sulfur is a big one, right? We wanted to and put that in there. Sulfur is something, at least in, across Indiana, is something we see year in and year out in terms yeah. of efficiencies and responses. And it, is, it is becoming a big issue. I mean, yeah. you, you listen to, we had, a, we had a number of the agronomists in the year and summary bring up sulfur and that's something yeah, absolutely. that we, I mean, we, we've been preaching that for two years now. I, yeah. I think that's that continues to be a big issue yeah. in corn and soy. Yeah. So they all kind of stem from questions that we got, you know, nitrogen timing, like, you know, there's folks that like to do the late season end or the wide drops and stuff like that. And, you know, looking at the seeding rates as well. So yeah, uh, that's really where a lot of the question. I mean, you could make this study as big as you want. Yeah. 
Um, you know, my treatments, we, we settled on eight treatments, you know, <laughs> some of these studies have, are much bigger, right? Yeah. They have yeah. a lot more, but we wanted to be able to take this study and do it. You know, we do a lot of small plot work, but we want to do it field scale, right? Yep. We want to do a big plots either on farm or at our research farms. And so you're limited on the amount of treatments to get the replications and stuff yeah. you're yep. able to do. Um, so that's why we're, our treatments are maybe a little bit lower because we had um, environments where we put it uh, field scale in addition to the small plots. So just a quick question in regards to, you talked about nitrogen management. Are you, is that primarily a 28 or 32% uh, going on both, both uh, with a planter and then coming back as a side dress? Yeah, pretty, pretty much uh, 28 or 32%. Um, Indiana, um, we don't, you know, there's still a fair amount of anhydrous in Indiana, but not even to the level of, of Illinois and Iowa. Sure. Uh, that's something that's really tapered off um, in the state. So, so most folks uh, you talk to are either 28% or 32% UAN. We do what we call super early side dress, which is like <laughs> October of the previous year. You know, it's... <laughs> yeah. it's <laughs> yeah, we a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of Indiana folks. I think from our us preaching to to get away from that, but yeah. uh, a lot of a lot of folks in Indiana. You still see it, you know, in parts of northern Indiana. But yeah, we're um, we're playing catch not, up. We're we're trying to yeah, get yeah. our growers there, and, and I feel like I mean that's something we talk about. We we joke about it, but when you start talking those next level yields. I mean, that's yeah. when I preach, that's one of the things we're going to have to start changing up if we want to go from 225 to 300, you know, so. Yep. That's a, that's a long time for that nation to sit there. That's yeah. The, well, and I think, it. I think that goes back to, you know, me starting by just saying, you know, thanks for the work you're doing, because I think it's something we sit and talk a lot about, but if you can point to definitive research that, that, that shows yep. the efficacy of those treatments, then it becomes less opinion and more, yeah. you know, more a way to be, be yeah. profitable on your operations. So, and, and so to, cl to clarify, Dan, um, so each of these treatments that you had, it was, it was always that one treatment versus the control. It was, and, and then also you yeah. had the intensive, which was all of them. So there wasn't stacking yeah. everyone on top of it and then removing to see the synergy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, you know, you, if you mentioned ways I would like to, if you were to do this differently, right, you would, you know, I've done these type of trials where you have all of them added and then you yeah. start removing yep. one. And, yep. You know, we were just, it's back to the point where we wanted to do this either on farm or yeah. field scale. Yeah. And we're just limited in the yeah. space to get the replications we needed. Which I love. I mean, man, the, the, the data coming off a true on farm strip trial mm -hmm. versus plot yep. is huge. So I, I love that you did that. Um, so I'm curious, you know, thinking about, uh, man, you think about all the stuff that impacts yield, right? You got, mm -hmm. you, look, you look at soil, you look at your CEC, organic matter, soil texture. Um, how, how did you decide whether that was on farm or, you know, your small plots? How did you decide, did you intentionally pick areas with low variability? Was it uh, fields with a high amount of variability? Were you looking at low versus high yield environments to try and pick, you know, tease out the impact of those individual management practices on the high versus low? Uh, tell us what you did there. Um, I would, I would say, you know, we kind of took what we had in terms of, you know, the availability of fields and, and stuff like that. But I would, I would say the majority, at least the sites in Indiana, we kind of targeted the more variable, tougher environments to have those on say field scale, uh, type trials. Whereas, you know, West Lafayette, our prairie soils here, you know, very productive is more of our small plot. Uh, work less variability, right? Variability can can be a real challenge with with some of the small plot work, yeah. Um, that we do. So, um, a lot of our our field sites that are at the field scale research trials um, are actually 
a lot more variability, a lot more challenging, right? So we have you know, a site in Northeast Indiana and we have a site in a couple of fields in Southeast Indiana, which are very different than say Central Indiana, you know, Southeast Indiana yeah. is kind of like Kentucky, very rolling, a lot of no-till. Uh, we have no-till up in Northeast Indiana, a lot more challenging soils. So, um, you know, that's the next step. I'm actually working with a couple of my colleagues here at Purdue is, okay, we did these big field scale studies of these inputs on very, you know, kind of challenging environments and, and more variable ground. Let's maybe take it the next step and look at some of the spatial responses. So yeah. I think that's the, some of the next step uh, we're hoping to do. Yeah. Well, that'll be good. Cause I mean, that's one of the few things with the technology advancements, you, yeah. you can kind of look backwards, right? You have all this data. Now you can start yeah. teasing apart the individual soil textures, you know, the, huh. the high yielding yeah. spots. So that I'll, I'll be curious to see, maybe we'll have to have you on as, the first guest for 2025 now yeah, <laughs> talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm curious, uh, how many replications did you have in, in site years? And, and then um, I would say before we even get into that, just so our listeners have a good feel for what a site year is, uh, tell us, tell us what that is. And then, and then what, you know, how many replications in site years you had? Yeah. So we had, you know, in terms of a, a site year, right. That's typically one field and one year, right. Yep. So we've, doing this this study for a couple of years now and um i think we're up to about 14 total site years uh, nice. for this study now um uh, replication wise right we you know we're typically at least four um it's a little more challenging with the the big build just to uh, make sure it fits uh, with the a treatments but we're able to get uh, four replications and then a lot of our small plots we might go either anywhere from five to six replications uh, just to account for for some of that variability. So, uh, yeah, quite a quite a few different environments and and different site years for this project. Awesome. One w- one of the things looking over your PowerPoint in, in this data that you sent me, I w- yeah. I was I almost had uh, uh, flashbacks of grad school thinking about all the notes and sampling <laughs> that I had to go out and take. Especially, man, we'll we'll get into that dry matter accumulation, like the rate yeah. duration. That is a lot of sampling on its own. So I'm curious, you know, looking at all these different um, treatments that you had, what what was the sampling like? I mean, I, I can only imagine the amount of notes. What what did you guys focus on? Was it did you take each individual treatment and take you know your different phenotypic responses, root responses? Where, where, how did you think about that? And what did you look at for each treatment? Yeah, I think you know we kind of specified certain treatments on the more intensive, right, with the grain fill duration, but. Um, actually across every environment, every site, every location, um, we did a lot of, you know, typical type measurements for us or, you know, obviously doing the stand counts, right? We'll track emergence, look at stand counts, take our notes then. Um, this study, so like the PowerPoint I, I shared with you, um, doesn't have all, you know, we did a lot of tissue sampling too, right? We took whole plant samples. At V5, we did a lot of ear leaf samples um, as well, just to track with with some of these um, different, you know, say micronutrients, right? Fuller micronutrients is how is that impacting the levels um, in the plants? Um, we took, you know, like tassel dates, right? So, you know, reproductive dates. Um, we took a lot of ear samples. So that's a big part of um, these trials is, you know, majority of my research that I do, we're going to take ear samples, right? That's a big, big part of, yeah. You know, let's look at the yield components. Let's look at the kernel numbers. Let's look at the rows. Let's look at the weight of those kernels. Um, cause that, you know, I always tell folks that ears, ears can kind of tell you a story of, of what went on, uh, during the year. And, you know, if maybe yield wasn't as good as what you'd hope, you know, 
maybe you can kind of figure out even from the year where that, that yield difference came in. So yeah. looking yeah. at how these inputs, you know, impact the the different yield components. Um, so I, I like to break corn yield up into the different components and, yep. and then do a lot of measurements around those those components. But a lot of tissue samples uh, broken in just to look at, you know, uh, nutrient content in the plants. We always soil sample um, as well by plots and by reps to, to track nutrient levels and, and soil characteristics Yeah, uh, as well. I, I really like that you're doing kernel weight. I, I feel like yeah. that, that's such a huge impact. You know, you figure you get to that that dense stage. And you still have, depending on the genetics and the hybrid material, you still got, I mean, 45 roughly percent of dry matter that needs to go into those kernels. Yeah. So you figure the importance of kernel weight, not test weight on, on yield, right? Uh, that's huge, right? So if you, if you start, I mean, you, you think five to 10 years down the road, the data that you're going to have, mm-hmm. I, it's, that's so much work. I feel like what you're doing is going to be able to answer a lot of stuff that previous research hasn't. You know, I mean, Westgate was the, I mean, he was the godfather of, of that. And there just been, I feel like the, the focus has been lost, but we have so much new technology, new products that I, I think if we can answer what you're trying to answer, that's going to help us decipher when, when is that impact made on the plant? Is it something, you know, is a starter somehow impacting? I mean, all this stuff that we don't know, it, how is it impacting kernel weight versus just yield or visually looking at that ear? Because you can't yeah. tell how much a kernel weighs looking at it, right? It might be a big kernel that weighs, that doesn't weigh that much. It might be a small kernel that's densely packed with starch. And it weighs a lot, so there's a lot to it. So what you're doing is is really good. Yeah, it's it's it all comes back to the the I saw a yield response, but where is it coming from? So you yeah. you got to do the measurements to to help explain that. Um, as, as you all know, in grad school, you got to write that discussion in your your thesis, right? And, and you got to have the the data to back that up. So yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm curious too, talking about you know the just thinking broadly about your, your dry man accumulation kernel in, in, in test weight, you know, I'm sure you got the, all that information as well, but tell me about, you know, not, not that necessarily, what, what was the hardest part of this whole procedure, you know, getting notes? What, what was that one or two things that just drove your grad students crazy? It was mm-hmm. like, man, we got to <laughs> go out and take these samples again once every three days to get an accurate graph or data. What, yeah, what, it's, Probably the the kernel sampling, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess you, you have to be really careful um, with it too, because um, you try to be as be as accurate as you can. So my grad student uh, Malena has done a great job of of managing this trial and, and managing all the the different sites and, and doing these measurements. And um, but you know, we took ear samples. We started uh, right about R two right after pollination. Yep. It was every single week. Um, so this was a a protocol we worked with Tony Vine on and to kind of simulate the same protocol he used for, for some of his nitrogen work. Um, but yep. it's, you know, every week. So it was every Friday, uh, the yeah. students were out there and that's where the flashbacks um, you know, were coming from. <laughs> you, you take the ears and, you know, then they would, they would put them on ice and coolers and, and take them up to our lab. And, you know, they had to use little tiny tweezers, right. And, you know, really, you know, intense analytical scales that, that can track these, these, you know, the accuracy, um, so you have to be be really careful. Um, yeah, but I think my students have have done a great job of of getting good data off of it. But it's it's time, you know. People ask me, well, why'd you only do this on you know four treatments out of eight? Like, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. A grad student would probably still be out there yeah. if we did it <laughs> more. So. That way, that um, way, everybody didn't quit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That Dan well, guy's real hard, uh, hard yeah. guy to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so thinking about obviously, I mean. 
you know, really looking, looking at the yield impact of these. Um, yeah. and then the, the, the varying, um, mm-hmm. practices that you were evaluating, how did you think about limiting factors? So when you're evaluating, um, each of the different components, how, how do you factor that in? Um, in terms of just, you know, I think that's where we maintain a lot of our measurements from so we can address if there's any limiting factors, you know, taking them, you know, taking something like, you know, tissue samples across all the different treatments, all the different plots, you know, understanding is there a, a certain nutrient that's that's limiting in us. Uh, I didn't mention, you know, we we rate disease uh, from all of these plots yeah. um, throughout the year too. So we're, we're monitoring those uh, throughout the entire season. We're monitoring every treatment, every rep. Um, and then we're trying to do as much as we can of outside the treatments themselves to manage it uh, the exact same across that entire field yeah well uh man that's uh that's a that's a lot of work i I guess before we even get to the results part i gotta say thank you to you and your grad students because getting getting growers and crop consultants and agronomists this information that's a lot of work and i mean this this is is the type of stuff we look for to make recommendations and start thinking differently about that And, and it takes somebody like you and your team to to put all this work in it's it's uh I think even talking about it, I don't think you have a feel for how much time energy is put into pulling samples that consistently. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's good. It's something that, you know, why I enjoy this study is because we get asked about it all the time. Uh, a lot of folks have, have asked us to share it and to send it to them and they want to see it. And um, there's, you know, some level of excitement uh, from a lot of the farmers and consultants uh, where they, you know, are really after or waiting for the data. I had a couple reach out to me in the in the last couple of weeks saying, Hey, you got your, uh, you know, uh, you got that intensive next year yet. And um, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for it. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, it's kind of fun to, to be able to, you know, directly impact some of the, the folks around the state with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll transition here, um, pretty quick and talk about the results, but I guess as we kind of wrap this episode, um, did you see visual differences, either good or bad? Um, any, anything that really stood out, you know, stand improved plant health. I mean, did you have, did you have kind of some things that really jumped out to you when you were spending time in these treatments? Yeah, not, not much, you know, in terms of the stand, but it was really more on the the back end of the season. I think that's, you know, if, Probably in the in the slides that I shared with you all, I think you can see a couple of those pictures, right? And in, yep. in terms of both the intensive plots and then also the R one, you know, R one fungicide, um, you know, those pictures were taken the same day, right? We were walking those plots um, in in side by side plots, right? Uh, and you could see how drastic oh, yeah. the difference in 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 terms of the you know photosynthetic capacity in the, in the green leaf area of some of those treatments right um so i think that's really what stood out to us and then you know do doing a little bit closer when we're rating diseases right you could really pick up on on the differences in in foliar disease pressure between you know just seeing how how well some of these fungicides perform and in terms of controlling that disease and, and then seeing that actually track into you know where we're seeing some of that state green Basically, that plant is, you know, that it's not senescing as much. It's it's still retaining some of its photosynthetic capacity and, and some of its grain fill. And I think, that, you know, a lot of that has to do with the disease control um, yeah. on the back end of the season. So I think that's that's really what, you know, in terms of, you know, walking the plots and, and noticing a, a pretty stark difference is, is what those pictures showed. Um, those pictures were taken right about black layer. Um, and you can see just how, how green some of those plants are still. Oh, yeah. uh, 
and that yeah. maturity. Yeah, it looks it looks like about a a, a five to eight day RM uh, RM difference. If if you didn't yeah. know anything else, so and I we'll, guess we'll put this on our site. We'll link this too. So we have this PDF yeah. that Daniel gave us, and so uh, I, yeah, I I was I, I didn't share it at this point because I didn't know if this was something you had published or were waiting. But now that we have the okay, we'll we'll, we'll link this with our show. Yeah. It's pretty good data. So I please uh, you know if uh, the guests listening go on go on to the podcast. Uh, website and click on the link. Yeah, for sure. So give us a teaser uh, uh, as we as we get ready to talk about the results. Um, was it what you expected? <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of. Yeah, you know, you always have your your hypothesis of. So I think there's quite a few aspects of it that you know were, were in line of of what we expected. There's a few input responses that maybe weren't quite as much as what we expected. Um, but again, I think, you know, we'll get into to which inputs did a lot of the work. And um, I think the inputs we kind of thought were going to do a lot of the performance. And then actually when we get into the grain fill duration, you know, where that's, that's kind of our, where our hypothesis was coming from, right? So, you sure. know, we can maintain if these products can give us some of that, that, you know, stay green or just in terms of a healthier plant through disease control or nutrient deficiency control, Right. Can that actually track to where that grain fill duration is a little bit extended? The kernel weight's a little bit higher. Right. And I, I think we we saw that. And that's that's kind of tracked with with our, our main hypothesis for the study when we started. Well, Andrew said it and I'll I'll say it. Um, thank you for uh the hard work and and to all your grad students and the team, the team of people from um Purdue and the other universities for the hard work on this and uh look forward yeah. to having you back and talking about the results. Yeah, yeah, happy to do it. Thanks, Thank Dan. You. Thank you for joining us on another episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. We love your feedback. Please email us at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com. That's a penny, the number four, your thoughts at gmail.com, or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. Thank you for tuning in.